So Maria, I understand uh, your grandpa was in the Navy. Is that correct? Yes, he was in the Navy for quite some time. He was actually active duty for about three years, three to five. Uh, They kind of go back and forth on the story a bit, but um, he was listed as active duty for seven years. And this is the same grandpa that was a truck driver, correct? Yes, sir. One in the same. He was actually incredibly involved in both. Um, so his years in the Navy and and funny story there, he was technically in the Navy until the day he died. Um, he passed away back in 2017, but he was very adamant that he was an active Navy member until the day he passed. He would show people like bank tellers. He would flirt with them and wink and be like, you know, I'm still a Navy man and, you know, pull out his little Navy ID and show <laughs> them. Um, and my mom and grandma always rolled their eyes and said, you know, no, you're not. Um, and when doing the paperwork after he passed, we found out he was truly never discharged from the navy um it was wow. a true story it wasn't just a flirting tactic <laughs> what a guy oh, grandpa yeah. Yeah, yeah. i love it I, I mean i used my student id long after i got out of college to try to get discounts on hamburgers but finally when i went bald they're like <laughs> we don't believe it <laughs> discounts on hamburgers that's my favorite kind of discounts yeah my, my grandpa was actually uh, in the navy for quite some time but he was a naval swim instructor so there's been lots of times throughout our life where he would tell us lots of stories. You know how grandpas are. You sit on their lap and they tell you the same story about 15 times in a row and or spread out over a week. You hear the same story every day you go over. And he would tell all these stories about teaching uh, naval officers and things how to play dead in the water, um, different tech, you know, techniques to hold your breath for long periods of time. Huh. And one of the things that really stuck with me is we would go on these family vacations and he would take all the grandkids and the pool the slew of us there's tons of us i think there's like 19 and he would you know get in the pool and he would float on his belly for a really long period of time and we were always like grandpa grandpa are you okay (laughs) like what's going on right because we don't know anything about this and he's like no 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 it's a technique let me show you so then you know all the parents are sitting around the pool and all the children are playing dead face down (laughs) in the pool Uh, and grandpa's teaching us how to hold our breath and he was so incredibly good at it and um you know that that piece he used to talk about a lot and then the trucking aspect he used to talk about a lot as well Um, and so towards the end of his life he really loved talking about both things and he would forget things a lot and he had alzheimer's and things like that so he started to kind of lose touch with reality but the two things he never lost were trucking memories and naval memories so You know, he would be sitting there talking to you and kind of out of touch with things. And he swore up and down in talking to us that his hospital bed was a big rig. He said, all right, I got to find the best parking space to park overnight. I'm going to back this thing up into the closet and then I'm going to back it up over here, park it overnight and take my vehicle and head home for a good night's rest. (laughs) And (laughs) that was just his thing. He really, really loved it. It stuck with him to find the best place to park overnight. You know, it's an important thing to remember. Um, And then also, you know, every time we would talk to him and he would be requesting different things like I need a water or I need help with something, he would sign off like he did in the Navy and he would say his full name. And he was like, how else are you going to know who I am? You know, he was very much stuck with him that he had to follow these instructions and these rules. And he could tell stories from those times, even when he couldn't remember other things. They were ingrained in him so much being a truck driver and being 
a naval instructor, it was very important to him and it becomes part of who you are. And I think that's really important to veterans across the board. It's just ingrained in you as a human being. Very significant time in your life. Um, I have some experience with Alzheimer's as well and, and my own grandparents and uh, military service is one of the few things that would always bring my grandpa right back on track if you wanted to talk to him about it kind of broke him out of that fog that the people that are affected by Alzheimer's get. And I, I think you're exactly right. It's very well said a significant time in your life and how lucky we all are to have those memories be the ones that stick with. Absolutely. Listen to stories from the road. This is unplugged. OTR on the 10, four network. Welcome into Unplugged OTR. I'm your host, Marcus, and today on the show, we send a salute to veterans in trucking. We know there's a hefty number of you vets out there on the road, so hit us up at sayhi.chat slash OTR and let us know where you're listening in from. Later, we're going to speak to a couple of vets with careers in the trucking industry, but first, joining me as always, she may not have served in the military, but I hear she's got some wicked dance moves and will serve your ass on the dance floor. What's up, Maria? (laughs) I don't know about all that, but I'll sure try. Hey, Marcus. And also joining us from the literal center of the country in Omaha, Nebraska. What's up, Caleb? Hey, Marcus. You know, Maria is great at dancing, but I think I'll serve Maria on the dance floor. And she's seen my dance moves before. Okay. Podcast dance off. I'm feeling it. Challenge accepted. I will stay my white ass on the side of the dance floor and let you guys fight it out. Okay. (laughs) I tell you what, I'm excited to be talking about this topic today. Uh, Veterans Day is fast approaching and we know that about 10% of truck drivers or 350,000 are veterans according to the U.S. Census Bureau. And what you really need to know is that these veterans are saving the country once again by helping out OTR. And today we're getting the chance to talk to one. First up on Unplugged OTR, we are getting to speak with H&M Hopper driver, Navy veteran, submariner, and ship captain, Ron Nelson. Ron, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I don't know about the rest of the crew. Maria, Marcus? I'm doing great. Really appreciate you joining us today, Ron. My pleasure. Today, we're talking about all things veterans and trucking, and we just want to know, why did you decide to join the Navy in the first place? Well, funny story about that. Uh, I got into some trouble when I was younger, and when I was 19 years old, the uh, judge gave me a choice. He said uh, I could either join the military or join a chain gang somewhere. <laughs> he felt uh, <laughs> felt that uh, I just needed some directional guidance, and he knew where I could get it. Do you think that was a good decision to go with the military over the chain gang? <laughs> yes, most definitely was. And uh, about two and a half, three years after I'd gone in, the judge had retired, but I'm from a small town in uh, Illinois named uh, Galesburg, Illinois. And I knew where the judge lived. And I went back and knocked on his door and him and I ended up sitting out in his garden behind his house for about two, three hours talking that day. And, uh, I thanked him profusely for for the opportunity he gave me. Sometimes it just takes that one person to change everything for you. Yep, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, where are they? I'm 38. <laughs> Marcus <laughs> is waiting on his judge. Tell you what. Yeah, the judge <laughs> did the first, and then my uh, current wife, she's the one that cleaned up the last of it. So Sometimes you just need a good woman in your life. Yep, we just celebrated 16 years, uh, September oh. 2nd. 
she's my third, you know, third time's a charm. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Absolutely. Yep, Happy anniversary. Thank you. Between the two of us, we have, I have two from my first marriage. She has four from her first. I adopted her four. And out of oh. those six, we now have nine grandchildren and number 10 on the way. Oh, Ron, Wow, congratulations. Man. Oh, that's yep. so nice. Speaking oh. of family, were you the first in your family to join the military? Uh, actually, no. Uh, my dad was in one of those shadow organizations that was over in Vietnam that wasn't there. But, uh, yeah, I didn't find that out till years after he passed away. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. But uh, predominantly, my family was all truck drivers and farmers. I was the first one to really break out of the mold and end up as a sailor. <laughs> well, good for you. Well, the way that happened is back in uh, 1977, our family took a family vacation from Illinois. We drove across out to Vancouver, Canada. Then we took the ferry out to Vancouver Island. Well, back then, the ferry ride was almost a four-hour ride. So... I got bored and started exploring the boat and started following ladders down and ended up in the engine room. The chief engineer gave me a tour of the engine room, asked me how I liked it. I told him, I said, that's really neat. You know, he took me back up to my parents and we had lunch. And then I started wandering again. Only this time I followed ladders up. And the next thing I know, I'm banging on the door to the bridge and the captain opens the door and he's like, uh, you lost there, son. I said, no, sir. Said, I'm just trying to see what you're doing in here. He brought me in, showed me around, and put me in the uh, lookouts chair for the rest of the trip. And uh, as he had one of his bridge officers taking me back down to, uh, you know, rehook up back up with my parents, as we were going out the door, he goes, So, he goes, Son, what'd you think of that? I was nine years old, and I looked at him, I said, I want that big chair in the middle. And th that's where I ended up. I lost sight of the fact a little bit growing up. I never, never once changed what I wanted to do from a profession. For From that day on, I always wanted to be a sailor. Yeah, I, I feel like that's the right time to go do that is back in the late 70s. Because I think if I tried that nowadays, they would just throw my nine-year-old ass overboard. Pretty much. Either that or you'd be, uh, they'd be. You'd be visiting with some representative of the Department of Homeland Security asking <laughs> why you were down there. Why did you want to tour the engine room? Why were you in the bridge? Why did you want to know what they did in the bridge? Yeah, and see, as a, as a ship captain, I've been fully vetted by the CIA, FBI, all these different alphabet soup agencies, Department of Homeland Security, all that stuff. So I have a tendency to look at things as the way they do when it comes to kids messing up and stuff like that. Luckily, I can honestly say all six of, of the kids that I had, they did their usual little stupid things. We found out our oldest son, who's a Baptist minister today, that uh, he did his drinking and <laughs> everything behind our backs, you know, as teenagers should do. But uh, <laughs> we've uh, found out that all the kids did certain things when they were growing up, but none of them, thankfully, thank the Lord on that, did anything truly stupid like I was doing when I was a kid. <laughs> now, when you got vetted by the CIA and everything, uh, when you were when you were becoming a ship captain, 
Did they have that on the record? Like, I see here when you were nine that you ended up in the engine room on a ferry to uh, Vancouver Island. Can you tell us about that? Was that there? Uh, yeah, I was just I was just bored. You know, it's a four-hour ferry ride. There's you and a whole lot of blue water out there. So I wanted to see what made it tick. How does this boat get from point A to point B? What's it do? You know, how do the people that are operating this boat, what are they doing to get the boat from point A to point B? I've always been fascinated by math and science. And I can generally do most math in my head faster than most people can do it on a calculator or a computer. I'm uh, one of those, what they call a human number cruncher. And it's all math and science have always fascinated me. Uh, here lately, I've gotten into history. I'm fascinated by ancient history. And I mean, history going back 10, 15, 20,000 years. Because uh, as a ship captain today, you still have to take celestial navigation. However, if you're on a ship and you're down to that's the only way you can navigate, you're pretty much screwed. But uh, oh, no. I, I can do celestial navigation in my head. Those are trigonometric oh. problems. Uh, pages long if you write them out long form and I can rattle them off. You know, I know the formulas <laughs> backwards and forwards because I used to, I had a little sailboat and at one time and I used to use that as navigation for a backup form of navigation to my GPS back then. So wow. just to keep in practice. Do you use the stars to navigate your truck at nighttime sometimes now? <laughs> no, but I've, uh, I have got out and actually shot a star line and verified my position where the truck was parked at. Really? Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I just, but what really shocks me is there's certain stars that you shoot for celestial navigation, 52 stars. Those same 52 stars were the ones that the ancient Phoenicians six, 10, 12,000 years ago chose as the stars to navigate celestial by because even at that point their mathematicians and astronomers had already figured out that those certain stars move at a specific rate through the sky based on when it is during the year and during the day hour by hour so that's why they chose those stars we still use those exact same stars and the exact same equations today for our celestial navigation. It's never changed. That's crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Like I'm 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 lost right now just listening to you talk about it just kind of in the I guess in the spectacle of it all, but I'm actually physically lost too if I have to look at the stars and try to figure out where I'm at. So <laughs> Yeah. I mean the easiest one to figure out your latitude. Yeah, your latitude is you face due north, find Polaris. It's the brightest star in the sky facing straight north. However many degrees off the horizon it is, that's what your latitude is. That's how far north you are. Yeah, yeah and I mean, that seems like a pretty simplified way to do it. Like a pea brain like myself might be able to figure that out. Yep, and the thing is, is once you know where north is at and you know where your latitude's at, and you've got a watch or a clock on you of some sort, at that point, you can figure out by the amount of movement how far east or west of the international dateline or the uh, prime meridian you are, which will give you an exact location. Thank God for smart people, am I right? I know. <laughs> Way over my head, but that sounds <laughs> useful in certain cases for sure.
I think I'll stick to my Garmin GPS. <laughs> <laughs> the big thing about navigation, and it's the same whether it's a boat or a truck, is you've got to know your latitude, your longitude. And when you're moving across those lines of latitude and longitude, there's your time, speed, and distance. That's all there is to navigation. Whether it's a, a semi, a car, a boat, an airplane, time, speed, distance. And then if you want to make it more exact, then you add a direction down. And that's it. Hey, Ron, a couple of weeks ago, I was out walking with my wife and my dogs and I got lost in my own neighborhood. I took a right when I should have taken a left. So just I just want <laughs> you to know who you're talking to here to make sure that you know, you understand how, how far over my head you are. Um, so obviously you've been a lot of cool places because of how well you know how to navigate. Um, can you take us through your military experience a little bit? Talk to us about, uh, what, you know, kind of how you came up in the military, where you started, where you ended up, and then maybe the coolest place you ever went when you were in the military. Well, not really in the military because submarines due to, uh, I was a quartermaster on submarines, and there are only two people on that submarine that know where that boat is at 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's not the captain and the XO. It's the quartermaster hmm. of the watch and the navigator or assistant navigator. A lot of the places we were, I mean, a lot of it really wasn't anything. You get, you know, you cast off from shore, you go out, you submerge uh, anywhere from a week to a month later, you surface, go back into port. They, uh, I've been on a med run. We did a med cruise back in uh, 1989. And that was when uh, the government found out that Gaddafi had bought in three Russian submarines. So oh, wow. we were scrambled to go over. At that point in time, there was a tender over there in the Mediterranean that had all of our submarine-based nuclear weapons on it. So we were sent over to basically transfer those weapons onto us and get them out of the area. And uh, we did the first at-sea weapons load since World War II when we did that load. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I bet that was intense. It was. We were, uh, we were surfaced a um, place called Cyprus Sea Buoy. It's an international okay. mooring, and there was a Russian frigate right beside us as we were doing this. You know, oh, I'd be sweating. Wow, yeah, it's international. There's ships from every every seagoing country in the world have ships parked there, waiting to go into Cyprus and Greece and that area. They were sitting there watching us. Well, once we got done, closed the hatches, we were headed out to dive and haul butt out of the area. And that frigate decided it was going to trace us. So he gets underway and he's mirroring us. We'd turn, he'd turn, you know, we'd speed up, he'd speed mm. up, we'd slow down, he'd slow down. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, we get a call and they tell us in so many minutes, we need you to veer hard to, uh, hard to port. Okay. He said, this is a destroyer that just happened to be in Cyprus at the time. And he saw what was going on. And when he called out on the radio for us to essentially cut right, he ran right up between us and that Russian frigate and posted himself right there between us. And he stayed oh, there while we went out 
and were able to actually submerge and clear the area. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. How deep does the submarine go, Ron? Uh, Deep enough that if it truly goes down, there's nobody coming back from it. Run deeper than 600 foot in excess of 30 knots submerged. Wow. 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 And so I've I've always wondered because I feel like the the superiority in in kind of naval um, naval I guess you would say not really combat but in like just the navies across the world America has like the the strongest navy right so do you kind of feel while that is really intense and you've got this Russian frigate kind of following you around you kind of feel almost like a little bit beefed up because you've got this destroyer that's just like, hey, let me take care of this, and he just walks in front of this guy. Did they just stop and, and go the other way? Did they did they bug out? What happened to that frigate after the destroyer intercepted it? Once they realized we were gone, because once we submerged, we went down and we went silent. We went uh, to silent running. That means no noise, all off-watch personnel in the bunk, everybody takes a nap, only necessary personnel are up. No, no hatches are opened or closed. Whatever space you're in, you stay in it. Uh, rubber-soled shoes. No moving deck plates around to get underneath them for cleaning or anything like that. And once he realized we'd become a ghost, then he went ahead and veered off and went about his business. The whole name of the game with submarines is getting what they call a sound cut on them. Every vessel, surface ship, submarines, aircraft, they have a distinctive tone in the water for ships and submarines. Every engine has its own distinct sound at different RPMs. So it's like a thumbprint. And you, we could identify vessels on the surface running just by the sound of their noise. Because submarines, when you're on patrol, you're constantly taking noise cuts of anything that makes noise. You know, you're making recordings of it and feeding it into the computers. And when you run across it again, the computers can highlight that in a matter of seconds. Yeah, that's this vessel, and it's running at this RPM. So then it's a matter of just finding out which direction it's going. But uh, those sound cuts, every every Navy does it, you know. I'm learning so much from you today, Ron. That's <laughs> that's really that's really cool. I had, I had no, no idea, idea about that. Yeah. Um, so... You were on the submarine for how long? Um, what was the longest, I guess, you've ever been on a submarine for? Mm, the longest would have been 85 days submerged. Holy wow. smokes. Yeah. three months. Yep. What's, what's that like? Well, what you see in the movies of submarines, the, the older movies, the World War II subs, yeah, it's nothing like that on a, on a normal modern submarine anymore much larger spaces but what you see in movies like the hunt for red october and all those mm-hmm. uh red tide yeah those are movie sets because there's not that much room in a submarine so it's in the middle there okay uh fast attack submarines are roughly 365 foot long 33 feet across uh the fleet ballistic missile submarines are 564 long and 44 feet across so there's quite a bit of space in them. There's four decks in a ballistic yeah. missile submarine, and there's three decks in a uh, fast attack submarine. And how many people do you think there are in, in one of these submarines? Fast attacks I was on ran about a 127-man crew, 
And when I went oh, to the fleet ballistic gosh. missile subs, it was 160-man crew. And the only thing that limits the amount of time a submarine can stay down is how much food it can carry. We make our own water. We make our own oxygen. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. With the technology, we can make our own oxygen from seawater. Uh, we make our own fresh water from seawater. Uh, we oh, wow. pump sewage overboard, things like that. So I didn't it, know any of that. That is incredible. So how do you shower on the submarine? The water tanks, the potable water tanks are filled from the evaporator, which is seawater comes into the evaporator. It's turned to steam. The fresh water goes into the, into the uh, fresh water tanks, potable water tanks, and we pump the brine back overboard, back into the ocean. So the, the tanks, you know, those are eight, 10,000 gallon tanks. So those tanks, they're continuously topped off 24 hours a day. Um, the, the A-gangers, uh, which those are your machinist mates and stuff, they're constantly checking levels in the tanks. When a tank needs topped off, they go back, they kick the evaporator on, they top it off. Once it's topped off, they shut it back down or they send it to another function, you know, different different types of water that go through it. Um, mm -hmm. Primary coolant or secondary coolant for the nuclear reactors. Fluid flow dynamics is incredible for study what you can do with it. The way they keep the secondary coolant in the uh, nuclear reactors, the way they keep water from boiling, which water boils at 212 degrees, the way they keep mm -hmm. water boiling is they build what's called a steam bubble in the system. That steam bubble allows that water to be up over 3,000 degrees and not boiling. What? Yes. That's they pressurize crazy. that That's water. That's crazy. Yeah. But at that pressure and that temperature, you get a leak in that system and it's going inside the hull, it will flash cook everybody in that compartment in a matter of seconds. Oh, man. Because it Jeez, takes a nice. really tight knit team to keep that from happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's part of it. When you get qualified for submarines, that is a big part of your submarine qualifications. How well do you fit in with the crew? Because there's over 3,000 valves in that submarine just for air alone, for the air systems. Um, another three to 6,000 valves for the normal fluids. Uh, hydraulics, water, mm -hmm. stuff like that. When you're working mm -hmm. on your qualifications, every single person that's qualified on that submarine knows where every one of those valves is at. They know where every electrical panel is at because literally every individual on that boat could be the one that holds the lives of everybody else on that boat in their hands. It's, it's a really amazing, uh, amazing insight to that, because I, the first thing that comes to my mind is you as a as a submarine, t as a ship captain, you've got these giant teams of people and it's required that every one of them is on their A game and perfect every day. Now you're driving a truck, which kind of requires you to just be the guy that's on your A game and right. always making all the right decisions. What's the difference in that? If just that you see from being the sole dude that's responsible or having all these other people to depend on. In some ways, having people to spread the responsibility out with takes a lot of pressure off you, a lot of stress, but 
I am a firm believer. If I'm the one that messes up, I will be the first one to admit it. I am not a finger pointer. Well, he did this. He did that. No, I don't believe that. (laughs) I'll raise my hand. I did it. I'll take my lumps. I may get terminated. I may get a slap on the hand, but I'm going to own it. Yes, I screwed up. Good way to be, Ron. To me, that takes a lot of stress and strain off of me because I know I'm going to do my absolute best to make sure that myself and everybody on the roads around me makes it home safely. I will take that truck and its contents off a road into a ditch over the side of a cliff rather than run over a string of cars. That's something else, man. That's, that's the way my dad was. That's the way I was brought up. You know, it's not a very common way to be these days, Ron. So I very much appreciate that. Everybody's in it for themselves. Yes. The way I look at it. And I used to tell my new guys on the ships, whenever, when my new deckhands would come on board, I would tell them there is absolutely nothing on board this ship, cargo, ship wise, anything that is worth one of you losing your life over. I said, I don't care if Mm -hmm. it's a hundred million dollar wireline unit and We used to carry those quite regular on the boat. I said, I don't care if it's a matter of that $100 million wireline unit going over the side and being lost or you going over the side and being lost, that wireline unit better be what goes over. I said, because Mm -hmm. there is nothing worth you getting seriously injured or losing your life on. I don't care what that company man up on the rig screaming about how he's losing $3 million a day because he left us sitting out there a week on mirror calm seas and now a storm's coming in and it's 25 foot seas and he wants me to put this 10,000 ton ship close enough to a floating rig that I can reach over the wing of the boat and slap the rig leg. And he wants me to put it there in that weather because, oh, now it's going to cause the rig to get shut down. Well, pal, you get access to better weather reports than I do. You should have been thinking about this two (laughs) days ago. I told one yeah. one time, he told me, I pay for that boat. I pay your check and you'll put that boat where I want. I said, no, you're right, but we're going to have some conditions there. He's like, what's that? At that time, I said, I've got another 35 to 40 years I plan on working out here. I make, at that time, I was making $175,000 a year. I said, I make hundred and seventy-five grand a year. You multiply that by 40 and deposit it into my bank account. And as soon as I get confirmation that an amount of money is in my mm-hmm. bank account, I will put this boat wherever you want it. Until you then, tell him, Ron. I said, That's until right, then, Ron. I'm staying right where I'm at. So then he comes across the radio. <laughs> well, I need the number to your supervisor. I said, I tell you what, here's my number. You call me. I'll dial you in because I'm already on the phone with my supervisor. I like what? you, Ron. I said, yeah. you, Ron. I said, I'm this is the guy you want captaining your ship that's hauling $100 yeah. million dollar cargo right here. I'd get on your submarine, yeah. Ron. When I was over in African countries, when I was working as a civilian on the ships, as a ship captain going in and out of them, I've had guns pulled on me in my own bridge by customs agents. Why? Because I wouldn't oh let them go raid my freezer or my refrigerator. What? That's crazy. That's crazy. You have gift for us, Captain? Nope, sure don't. Well, then we've got a problem. Well, do we have a problem or do you have a problem? He goes, what's the difference? (laughs) I said, if we have a problem, we can call my company. We can get this figured out. If you have a problem, I don't know what to tell you other than go somewhere else, you know, and uh, 
we'll wait for another customs agent. I said, because I cannot legally allow you to do that. Yeah. So is it true, Ron, that the people at H&M call you the captain? Because I've been told that's the case. Yeah. The captain or Captain Ron. I still go by that. <laughs> captain Ron. I love yep. that. Yep. Just like the movie. Okay, that is man. my favorite movie. I've got that movie on VHS. I've got it on uh, DVD. I had it on, at one time, I had it on the 12-inch laser disc, the ones that look like the big records. Yeah, every yes, format sir. you can have that on, I've got it. <laughs> that is my favorite movie. There you go. And That's that was great. the his his attitude with the, being laid back, but the work was still getting done. That's the way I ran my boats. I used to tell my guys, hey, that rust didn't get here overnight. It didn't get here in the last year. It's not going away in the next year. I used to tell them, though, as long as I can see progress, I don't care what that bonehead in the office coming down here and saying, well, the work's not getting done. Let me handle them. I said, because if I'm seeing progress, that's good enough for me, and that's going to be good enough for the company, or they can fire me. Well, I was never fired. Never run off a boat. <laughs> However, I ran a few company men off the boat because they realized they'd really stepped on my toes. The last company I worked for, it's rumored because he owns the company 100%. There is no stock issued in that company. So his tax filings are private. He is suspected to be truly the richest man on the planet with a net worth of just over $570 billion. That's an incredible amount of money. Yeah, that's twice as rich as Elon Musk, who (laughs) is currently the quote-unquote richest man in the world. Yeah. And wow. That's going to be 500 times as rich as me when I win the Powerball this week, which is (laughs) a billion. Fingers crossed for you, Marcus. And he, it's one of those, I became very good friends with the owner of the company. I found a glitch in some paperwork between a company that supplied gearboxes to his boats and the boat and a recurring issue that was costing us five to $10 million every time it was fixed. And I happened to come across when I was checking into it, I went into an old shipyard file that was on the boat's computer. I found the email from the technicians installing the first gearbox back to that company, telling them the gearbox was the incorrect one. And the company said, go ahead, install it. They can get it fixed later. Yeah. So when both those gearboxes blew up on my boat and they were talking $15, $20 million for repairs, I fired that straight to the uh, CEO of our corporation. Yeah. I saved the company (laughs) untold millions of dollars. Um, I spent four years working in Brazil. Um, the boat I was on down there was the Deep Stem Brazil too. It was the world's Jeez. largest offshore frack vessel at the time. I was the master on it. <laughs> that boat went for quarter to half a million dollars a day on charter. Ron, I feel like we could write a movie about your life right now. Just just talking to you for thirty minutes or so. <laughs> you you've got a lot of experiences. Um, you said your family was mostly farmers and truck drivers, but could you tell us why you became a truck driver after you were on the submarine? Believe it or not, I got off, the, like I said, I got out of the Navy in 97. So I came off the subs then. And then by, that was in June of 97. 
November of 98, I worked on, walked onto my first merchant marine vessel. Okay. Thing is, is uh, trucking and shipping are actually very similar. When you're talking bills of lading, weights, measurements, things like that, we use a lot of the same mm-hmm. forms, DOT form, such and such. Um, our physicals, the, we use the same DOT physical form trucking that you do on the ships. However, trucking, you use five pages of it. When you're a ship captain, they're using all 14 pages of that same physical. It's commonality there. There's a lot of overlapping paperwork between the industries. Um, I just kind of did a little bit of farm work when I was growing up and stuff and decided that, you know, it's honorable. It's very hard work. I'm not scared of hard work, Mm -hmm. but it just wasn't for me. I wanted something different. Sure. That trip to Vancouver when I was nine, 10 years old, that was the thing that really stuck in my mind. I really enjoyed that. I've ridden four hurricanes off out offshore on a ship. Um, never been seasick a day in my life, which is ironic. Oh, considering man, I, I envy you, Ron. <laughs> I am so seasick. So easy. Yeah, I got seasick fishing for Marlin one time, and the, uh, the captain gave me a warm Bud Light to make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's to empty your stomach. Oh, okay. Well, I did that too. Uh, there you go. That's to empty your stomach because you'll feel better if there's nothing down there grinding going, let me out. <laughs> let me out. <laughs> yes. So it sounds like your time on the ship prepared you pretty well for trucking then. Yes. And I truly thank that judge for doing what he did because without the training I got, in the military for concentration and uh, staying on point, you know, and being inquisitive, I never would have been able to have gotten my Merchant Marine Master's ticket. Mm -hmm. Merchant Marine Master's ticket, in order to get it, it's a series of six tests. You have to have only a 70 on five of those tests. The rules of the road test, you have to have a 90 a breader. Makes sense. You don't want somebody that doesn't know how to read the buoys running, you know, running into stuff. Bumper boats is not good. No. I lost a very good friend of mine when two boats ran into each other and his boat capsized. Oh, um, oh no. I'm so sorry yeah. to hear that, Ron. That was years ago, but uh, almost 20-some years ago. But uh, you want to make sure they know what they're doing. The tests, as far as pages of text... It's over a million pages of text that those tests cover. Oh, my goodness. That's so, unbelievable. I don't even know that my brain could take all that in. <laughs> yeah, we're talking <laughs> hundreds long. of volumes of books of all different kinds of subjects. Uh, stability. You know, I could sit here in the room. You give me the dimensions of a sailboat or something like that. I can give you what weight you have to put where to keep it level so it doesn't tip over. Um, writing moments. It really stuck with you. Yeah, it has. And to be quite honest, I made it, my wife and I, it was a joint decision. I, in 2021, my master's license expired. I technically can renew it, but in order to renew it, what I have to do is I have to take a first mate's ticket, run on that for 90 days to get recency, and then get upgraded back to the license. But due to my grandkids getting old enough now that 
I get phone calls from them out of the blue. Hey, Pop Pop, what are you doing? Where are you at? I can still get those on the ship, but it's a little harder because now they're having to dial through satellite phones, you know, a thousand miles offshore. So my wife and I decided with the industry being too much up and down that I was going to walk away from the boats. It's hard. The ocean runs in my veins. Um, Oh, you can tell. Yeah, every time I run a load across I-10, I can smell the salt air. I can smell the salt air from the Gulf of Mexico. And the first thing I want to do is turn south because there's there's seven companies down there in the Gulf of Mexico that I could walk in their front doors. I've worked for them in the past, and I'd sit down and go, I'm ready to come back to work, and I'd be back to work that afternoon. Well, it sounds oh like you're goodness. a very valuable employee, Ron. You are very knowledgeable, and it sounds like you're a good team player, and you got your head on straight. We are starting to run a little bit short on time here. So uh, I, one thing before we get to the last question that I think I can speak for all of us here at Unplugged OTR and saying thank you for your service to this great country. Um, we are we are obviously kind of doing a salute to our vets today. You're a vet out on the road. You're a vet on the seas. And um we as Americans are lucky to have a guy like you out there uh, with our best interest in mind. So thank you very much for your service. You're welcome. I second that. Thank you, Ron. And I'll tell you, there's a t-shirt going around right now that says, I took an oath to protect this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and I have not been relieved of my duty yet. I truly believe that. That's awesome. You know, that's, I, that's a true vet right there. Amazing, man. It is. And when you've got veterans coming out of retirement to go into countries that our country is forgetting about people that are trapped there, we've got veterans coming out of retirement using their own money to sneak into these countries and get these people out of. Those are the true mm-hmm. heroes. Yeah. What advice can you give to those true heroes, too, and and anybody else that's serving right now that's thinking about coming out of their their military service and starting a career in trucking, Ron? Biggest thing, keep their eyes open. Uh, Nothing against any individual in the trucking industry. Recruiters for the trucking company are the same as the recruiters in the military. They will tell you whatever you want to hear to get you in the door. That's their job. Get you in the door. So eyes wide open. It's the orientation, their responsibility to keep you. And I'm a firm believer, even if you're sitting in orientation and it goes south as far as the way you're thinking, leave. Don't waste your time there because it will reoccur. Go with your gut instinct. Great advice from a great person. Ron Nelson, thank you so much uh, for coming on Unplugged OTR and joining us today. Uh, If I have my way, we will definitely have you back on the podcast at a later date, my friend. Come back anytime. Yes, for sure. I will be happy to uh, oblige that. And we'll be lucky to have him, Ron Nelson, joining us on Unplugged OTR. Say hi dot chat slash OTR is where you want to be if you have any response to anything on the program, especially the interviews. And speaking of interviews, I feel like we're lucky today. Uh, let's get right to the next one. Now joining us on the program is a 15-year vet at H&M Trucking and a veteran with service in the Marines and the Army. Please welcome H&M controller Patty Rupp. Patty, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for the invite. 
Now, tell me what a controller does, because I've, I've heard the term before, but I know that there's some nuance to it. So what exactly do you do at H&M? I am the pretty much the head accountant. I'm in charge of all the accounting and back office operations that has to do with anything to deal with the financials and compliance. That's a big responsibility. Wow. Yes. Lots of numbers, I assume, meaning that I would be terrible at your job. There would be all sorts of problems and calculators everywhere. Um, But you've also had some experience in the Marines and the Army. Tell us about that. All right. So um, I am an Air Force brat. So that means that I grew up, my dad was in the Air Force. Um, We traveled a few times. High school, the opportunities in the 80s weren't all that good. So I joined the Marine Corps right out of high school. That's what my dad did during Vietnam. Then he went to the Air Force after that. But um, I went in the Marine Corps and was there for about a year and a half. And due to family obligations, I got out. And then um, three years later, I decided I wanted to stay connected with the military and joined the Missouri Army National Guard, then transferred to the Nebraska National Guard when I moved back here to Bellevue. Okay, and and what was your role in the National Guard? In the Marines, I was an air command control operations. So I ran the radar behind the scenes, told the planes where they could fly or really just where they could shoot. (laughs) Wow. Then in the Army, I started out as communications, mostly with um, running wire, installing wire, up trees in ditches. We then moved to um, electronic communications. And I learned on that to be able to um, tell it the teletype and the radios, putting up antennas, all that fun stuff. And then I had the opportunity to retrain as a unit clerk. So I was the person who did all the paperwork behind the scenes for all the soldiers in the group. And um, otherwise known as mom, um, <laughs> that's how it ends up being. And I um, retired after 20 combined years, about 14 years ago. Did you find that uh, playing mom in the armed services uh, kind of translated well to to playing mom of the finances at, uh, at H&M? Yes, it does. It does. Because you're, you're watching people and you're seeing how things roll through and then you're showing them how it could be better. And you're also trying to get control of things before they happen. You've been in a lot of roles of great responsibility, Miss Patty. Yes. (laughs) We appreciate that. So what brought you to the trucking industry then? I was, um, I was actually working for the accounting firm that does H and M's tax returns. Okay. I was there for, um, about nine years, went through um, one deployment with um, the army while I was employed there. And after I came back, I just realized I needed to be closer to home Mm -hmm. and more flexible during that dreaded tax season. Yes, ma'am. So the opportunity arose for this position. So I came here. And you must like it pretty well being there for 15 years. <laughs> yes. The the goal is another um, almost seven years and then I retire. So why do you like H&M so much? What, what do you like working there? It's a very 
family-oriented culture. We take care of our employees. We have their best interest in mind at all times. H&M is family-owned, so you don't have Big Brother up there telling you, oh, you got to do this or I want Mm -hmm. this. The ownership is hands-on, but hands-off. They don't um, tie you down and make you, you know, follow stupid rules. (laughs) Yeah. But um, it's it's very nice. I, I love the culture. And that is one of the things when evaluating your future with a company is it's not only your job and what you do, it's the people you work with. And it would be very hard for me to to leave from this position. It's going to be hard in seven years, but I think I'll do it anyway. As part of the team, you guys have created a great environment. We hear only good things from drivers. So you're doing a very good job. Thank you. I like hearing that because a lot of times I only hear the bad stuff. Oh, no. (laughs) No, we're here to give you the good stuff. That's what we're here for. (laughs) That's mom's job, right? You got to clean up the messes too. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So... Patty, you you told us that you were deployed at one point. What's the coolest place the Marines or the Army took you in your time? Well, I was mostly stateside when I when I started my career with the Marine Corps. Um, you know, Paris Island was the starting point, and then I went to Twenty Nine Palms, California. Okay. If you ever get a chance to get go there, turn around and go back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's not the highlight. It's not the best place to be. It is um, an hour from Palm Springs in the desert. Okay. Mm. Mm. You know, it's a couple hours from the beach. You know, but it's it's a training base, and I ended up getting stationed there right after I got trained. So. And then I continued to live there with my um, first husband for about a year later and then moved back. Now, one of the things is that when my dad went in the Marine Corps in the 60s, he also went to 29 Palms for training. And so did my mom went out there. So I was kind of sort of retracing footprints. And then my mom, then my dad got shipped off to Vietnam. My mom came back to Missouri. But um So I've been to California and then with the National Guard, you don't get to travel as wide. Mostly our our two weeks of annual training were Georgia, Colorado, Missouri. I've been to, um, I volunteered for some duty at the border in San Diego for about three weeks. And so when you hear them talking about people jumping the wall, yeah, I saw it. Wow. In the, in the 90s. Yeah, it was going on then. Was that a hard position, Patty? No, our job was customs mostly. Okay. So it was it was disappointing in some ways because we're standing there watching people jump the walls to come to the U.S. And you're like, Border Patrol's right there. Why aren't they doing anything? But then you find out that they're watching them to find their contacts. Oh. They're trying to find the people that are that are picking them up, that they're paying to get here so that they can get the bad guys and not the people trying to get into the U.S. They're trying to get the people who are taking the money from the, the people that want to come here. There's so much more that goes into all of that than all of us get to see. Yes, there is. And it's it's just amazing what goes on down there and what the um, staff, the Border Patrol, the customs agents all have to, to deal with and then 
you have the media now bad mouthing them. So of course, of course, National Guard mostly. We just went. Um, we went to um, Norfolk, Virginia. That was good. I'd never been to Virginia, but no, I got deployed. I got deployed to Kuwait City during um, 2004, wow. 2005 with the um, 1075th transportation out of Columbus and York, Nebraska. So we went over there for a full year and um, ran transportation up into Iraq. So, wow, that's really interesting. Those York and Columbus, Nebraskans getting over to Kuwait. That's, that's incredible. Yes. Yes. It was, it was a pretty good group to go with. Yeah. yeah. And what a unique experience. That's a change of scenery for some Nebraskans, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Where did you like the weather better? 29 Palms or Kuwait? Oh. <laughs> I'd say I'd, I'd say 29 Palms. <laughs> I would have to agree. And I've never been either place. So um. <laughs> is 20 is 29 Palms still around? But you, Yes. Yes. It is a big Marine Corps base. I have a friend that um, he went to my church and he is in 29 Palms right now. So okay. I've, I've heard some stories of, about the place. It's not the nicest. It doesn't sound like. Well, it's, it's just a small, as far as people there and places, I mean, it's got, it used to have one fast food place. I mean, it's a very small base as far as people and buildings. 90% of this base is desert land. Mm-hmm. It is a training facility where they go out and practice dropping things on the ground and shooting things. So, yeah. <laughs> I heard they called it 29 Palms because they couldn't put what they wanted to call it on the road signs. Oh, no. correct. <laughs> that, is, that is correct. Yes. Yes. Oh, boy. Now I have to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we give Maria a little research project. Um, tell us how <laughs> your, your time in both the National Guard, the Army, the Marines... Uh, prepared you for working in, in a career in trucking because you've been there for 15 years now. Um, obviously, you learned some things that kind of translated over from that career. What are a few of those things? A few of the things are dealing with different people and personalities and backgrounds. In the in the military, you've got everybody from everywhere. Everybody's got a home, and it's not where you're at. And so, in the transportation, you know. The office, we've got a home here, but all of our drivers have homes elsewhere. So they're all from different backgrounds. We've got people from the South, from the North, you know, accents, you know, customs, different things that we deal with. You've got um, different religious preferences, different um, hobbies and everything. So I think the military, having been in that 90% of my life, has given me the ability to adapt and be able to accomplish things with different people. Mm -hmm. Almost like a very accepting mindset where it doesn't matter where you came from or or what you believe in. We're all here focusing on the same task and Mm -hmm. everybody has to be in lockstep for a successful completion of that task. That is correct. Diversification and all that. um, It had no place in the military when I grew up. I mean, it was, you know, you had two kind of people, officers and enlisted, you know, that was the only people you had. If you started looking at, you know, the color of people, you were green or dark green. That was the only difference, you know, so everybody's in the same, you know, bowl of, of candy there. You know? 
<laughs> I love it. That's a great way to look at it. Mm-hmm. So on behalf of H&M, do you have any words for those who served or are serving now, might be thinking about a career in truck driving, maybe thinking about a career in, in more of a front office role like you have in trucking? Um, what What type of advice or... I guess just words of encouragement can you offer those people? I would I would say that be sure to play on the things that you've gained from your military experience. No matter what your job in the military was, you've gained so much experience dealing with communications, dealing with, you know, um, human resources and people and navigation. I mean, a dispatcher, you need to know east, west, north, and south because you're telling somebody mm-hmm. where to go and you need to know directions. Well, that's one of the basic tools they teach you in any branch of the military. But yeah, play on those aspects of it. Don't think that, um, oh, I was a mechanic in, in the Army, so you know I'm trying to be a dispatcher now. I have nothing. No, you have a lot of tools in your toolbox that you can play on with that. Just talk to your counselors if you're, you know, active duty or or in the guard. Talk to the um, retention people. They can give you some guidance on how to write a resume and how to play on the the aspects that you've driven from the military. If you are currently not in the military or prior service, you know, continue on that too. And my oldest son was a truck driver for a while. He still is, but not over the road. And he used his GI Bill to pay for his um, truck driving school. I mean, there is a lot of tools out there for the military to get into the transportation industry. It's a it's a great world. And I don't see it going away anytime soon. (laughs) I agree with you. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Uh, we don't. We do not want the country to come to a screeching halt. So please, if you are enlisted or if you are a uh, a trucking career person, please stay the lane. We we need both of those things dearly in this country. And uh, I think I can speak for Caleb and Maria both uh, in saying thank you for your service to the country. We are we are doing a salute to vets today on Unplugged OTR, and uh, it's people like yourselves that really keep this thing up and ticking. And and uh, just from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for your service. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Patty. We wouldn't be where we are without you. I don't know if you guys knew this about me, but uh, coming up, I had to take a few part-time jobs to work in radio and also uh, be able to eat food and survive. Uh, one of the reasons that, uh, or one of the places that I took one of those part-time jobs was Applebee's. I was an Apple buddy, believe it or not. What? Yeah. Is that what they call them? You don't think I'd come up with that on my own, do you? <laughs> I don't know, Marcus. <laughs> I don't yes. know. I don't know. Yes, I was an Apple buddy um, for, I I think, going on like maybe two or three years. And the one thing that Applebee's did that I really liked is every Veterans Day on Veterans Day, if you go in there and you show your proof of either veteran status or active duty status, it was no questions asked, just boom, a free meal. Anything you mm-hmm. wanted off the menu, it doesn't matter. Uh, it was taken care of. And a lot of the servers hated it because obviously you ended up busting your ass that day, really working hard, seeing a lot of people. Uh, but it always had a really special place in my heart. And that's why I'm really glad that we're doing this episode today uh, is because... I think that uh, uh, most of the days of the year, our veterans kind of go unthanked. And I think it's a really important thing to to make a point to thank them, even on more than just one day a year. It's the least we could do. I agree. Free spinach artichoke dip isn't enough, but 
I'm sure it still counts for something. And that was always my favorite appetizer there. In fact, one time I took some mozzarella sticks and I dipped it in the spinach <gasps> artichoke. Oh, what yeah. a discovery. Oh, well, game changer. Good for good for those who are lactose intolerant. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you guys know this, but there's an absolute laundry list of places that will do the same thing. Uh, it, obviously, terms and conditions apply, but... I'm about to give you a rundown of some restaurants here that will give you something for free or give you some type of discount just for showing that you're either active duty or veteran status uh, with military service. Let's hear it. 7-Eleven, Applebee's, Aroma Joe's, Badass Coffee, Bad Daddy's Burger Bar, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, Beefo Brady's, Black Angus, Black Rock, BJ's Restaurant. No word yet on CJ's, DJ's, EJ's, or FJ's, which is also a Toyota. Give me some Buffalo Wild Wings, California Pizza Kitchen, Talk to Me Interstate 5. I'm talking Charlie's, Chili's, Chick-fil-A, Chicken Salad Chick, CeCe's, Claim Jumper, Cotton Eye Joe's, Cracker Barrel. How about some Denny's, Dickie's, Drake's, Duffy's, and Dunkin' Donuts? Massachusetts, let me hear you. Famous Dave's, Food City, Food County, Food Incorporated Township, and Food Parish. Key down on me in the Midwest, I-80. How about a little Golden Corral, Grady's, Hard Rock Cafe? I can't drive 55. What about you? Say hi, dot chat, slash OTR. Where are you getting your free grub today, vets? Leave mama at home and bring daddy to Hooters, Hands, IHOP. We're international in this house of free pancakes. Outback, Olive Garden, Pete's, Perkins, and Perry's Pizza. Quaker Steak and Lube, Red Lobster. Lobster, Red Robin, Zaxby's, Scooter, Sherry, Sheets, and Shoney's, Starbucks, Seattle. You underwater up there yet? Texas Roadhouse. No problems with free food here, Houston. Twin Peaks, Wawa, Wendy's, and White Castle. I-90, I-15, I-95, and I-20. If you're on the turnpike, we want to know it. Say hi dot chat slash OTR. Leave us a message. On behalf of the entire team here at Unplugged OTR, we greatly appreciate and thank all of the vets for their service and dedication to this fine country. Go get some free grub and be safe out there. Like a bachelorette party, steer straight for stags. For Caleb and Maria, I'm Marcus. Thanks for listening to Unplugged OTR. Thanks for listening to Unplugged OTR. Remember to tell us your stories at sayhi.chat forward slash OTR. Again, that's sayhi.chat forward slash OTR. Or find us on the 104 Network social media channels. If you want to hear more about driving jobs at H&M, find them at hmtrucking.com or on Facebook. Tune in next time and keep the shiny side up, drivers.